we're live. Philosophy episode 61. I'm your host, Pocholo Cruz, and with me today is my guest. Hey, this is Dylan Spicer. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm the owner and head coach at the Academy Combat Arts in Fargo, North Dakota. Black Belt under Greg Nelson and Pedro Sauer and Eric Paulson as well. Nice. Well, thank you for joining us, Dylan. Yeah, as, as we're talking by the magic of, uh, you know, Skype and computer recording. But, yeah, thanks for joining the show, Dylan. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, cool. So uh, let's get started. Dylan, so how did you first get involved in martial arts? Um, It's... You know, ever since I was a kid, um, you know, I was a kid in the 80s, so I watched, like, Chuck Norris and Stanley <laughs> Yeah. And, <laughs> cliche answer, but that was kind of my first, uh, you know, foray into it, if you will. I wanted to be a ninja when I was a kid, and uh-huh. I'm from North Dakota, so I was, like, one of the only Asian, you know, <laughs> in North Dakota, so... so yeah, I one of the few Asian kids in North Dakota, yeah. <laughs> You know, I identified with the martial arts characters on TV because a lot of them were Asian. Um, yeah. So that was my first start. And, and then really it, you know, kind of disappeared in my teenage years. And then, and then another cliche answer would be, you know, I watched UFC 1 and <laughs> did it. Okay. So, so before UFC 1, you didn't, uh, you didn't really have, you didn't start training at all, like from there? No, when I was a kid, I was in Taekwondo. I think I got to be like my green belt or something, you know, and <laughs> it didn't last long, you know, yeah. for reason. It, it just didn't stick. I played hockey okay. tennis in high school and pretty competitively, and that was about it. And Okay, so pretty much just a little Taekwondo when you were a kid and then some hockey when in high school, but really not that involved in athletics? Yeah. No, yeah, just outside of that, it was hockey and tennis, and, and that was it. Okay, so so then you go to cliche answer two. Yeah. Got watch start watch or watch UFC one. And do you recall like how you watched it or where where you were? Yeah, I do. I was at uh, and it, like, after UFC one, so it wasn't live. Someone had gotten like a VHS tape of it or something. And okay, okay. I went over to my my cousin's house, I believe, and I watched it, and my mind was just blown. I, I had I had, <laughs> I had no faith in Hoist Gracie at all. I was like, oh man, yeah. Little, just he looks too scared. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's kind of what did it, and that was you know I I think I saw the first one in like '96, and I don't USC one was in like '93, so I was a little late to the game, but yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So so you saw it then, got your mind kind of blown, kind of more open more open to, I guess, so like some martial arts that you didn't quite know existed. So what yeah. was the next step there? Yeah. Um, well, in Grand Forks, there wasn't a lot going on, and, and I had been traveling quite a bit as a kid, um, but I found a gym uh, in Grand Forks, and, and they were kind of doing a little bit of everything. Ken Greer, was he still runs a gym up there. Uh, he's also kind of one of my instructors because he was doing <laughs> – karate and taekwondo and there was a wrestler there and we he was teaching us wrestling and, and we were kind of trying to do whatever we could because this was before you know youtube and mm-hmm. and uh whatnot so we didn't have access to a ton of 
you know, good martial arts information was really hard to find until like Black Belt Magazine would have little articles on grappling. Yeah. Uh, so being in the Midwest and in North Dakota was it was tough to, to figure out, but and we kind of made do, you know, and taught ourselves a lot of stuff. Maybe some of it was probably wrong in hindsight. But <laughs> we we corrected it. Um, and that was that was kind of the first place I ever started training. There were some boxers there as well, so we did a lot of boxing. Mm-hmm. We were just trying to do what we could with what we had, and you know, there was no jujitsu instructors around in the Midwest. If you were a blue belt in the late '90s, that was like a huge deal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I mean, the landscape was way different than how it is now. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. 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 Okay. But so, uh, quite a few differences. Yeah. So we we kind of had to make do with what we had. Um, and then eventually I ended up moving to Minneapolis and started training with Greg Nelson, who's, who's like the head coach of uh, like Sean Shirk and mm-hmm. Nick Thompson. Uh, Nick Lentz was there for a while. Um, trying to think who else has been there. Brock Larson mm-hmm. uh, fighting on Brock Lesnar. He's probably the most famous one fighting out of. Uh, Greg Nelson's gym. Mm-hmm. So once I moved there, my my eyes got open really quickly to, you know, how many levels there were to this shit. Because with Shirk, like I I just had no no clue, you know. And uh-huh. you surely know what it's like to train with like a world class athlete. <laughs> yeah. The, the difference that is from I don't you know just everyday people that are hobbyists or whatnot. Oh yes, yeah, it's. Yes, seeing pretty much like how different like martial arts can be or like the like the level that can be attained, especially like it's one thing to see it like, you know, on video or like, you know, seeing UFC one, but like being in the actual presence of like, oh, wow, this is a person that has a high knowledge of martial arts and is a good athlete. That's yeah. a that's a whole different kind of feeling. Yeah. At the world class level, the yes. world championship level, those guys are just—it's just unreal what they're—they're they're capable of. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so you're at Minneapolis. You're training under Greg Nelson, and uh, so about how many years, or about what year is it that that you started there? <laughs> Would have been like 2003. I started making the drive from Grand Forks, I think, as early as, like, 1999, and that was, like, a five-hour drive to get to, to Minneapolis. Yeah. And we would go there and, you know, do private lessons and take back to North Dakota what we could, and then mm-hmm. uh, we finally moved there. Uh, I had a child, so we moved down there, and um, that really that really changed things for me quite a bit as far as martial arts goes um being around greg he was just like an encyclopedia of uh martial arts knowledge it's like there was there wasn't anything about martial arts he didn't know it seemed and so um you know probably forgotten way more than i remember (laughs) type of um environment with that much knowledge there was it was kind of hard to keep keep track of all of it but uh i'm super grateful for for all of that um i lived there for like uh like nine years and then we moved to uh fargo north dakota and opened a gym here Mm -hmm. um that was about 2009 uh january 2009 when we opened 
that was definitely interesting times and owning your own gym is a lot of work but right now it's uh, something that I'm really really glad I did because it's kind of a dream job too so nice okay yeah so yeah so your gym's been open now for for about for 10 years now right 10 yep. years and counting yep. nice okay so that's kind of like a quick synopsis of your martial arts career but how was um I guess so how was do you recall like what your first uh, martial arts competition was uh yeah yeah it was like a uh, Fargo open tournament there was a tournament in Fargo where they they had grappling and a thing they called like bogu and bogu. bogu what is bogu. that I, yeah it, it's called it was spelled b-o-g-u uh, i'm not even sure but by a local taekwondo gym and it was sort of like a full contact karate if you will with okay and so if you landed a clean shot they would you know award a point and then they would break the you know what i mean they would break the action essentially and then restart you so it wasn't like you could land like some big 10 punch combination and and with a kick or something it was like as soon as you landed like one hard shot they would award the point separate you and it, and it was basically kickboxing rules there was no kicking to the legs or anything okay uh, it's all upper body and and they also had a grappling tournament at the time um that was kind of consisted of you know taekwondo kids back in it was i think this was maybe 2002 okay uh, so there were kids competing that were wearing like their Taekwondo black belts and stuff, and <laughs> there were like judo people competing and wrestlers, and so it was kind of a, a hodgepodge of a bunch of different martial artists just trying to like strangle each other essentially, and you know not a lot of us knew what we were doing back then either, so it was kind of kind of chaotic in hindsight. Um, but yeah, that was that was probably my first tournament. Um, and then I had my first MMA fight, I think, in 2002. So those were kind of like happened around the same time. I think I did the uh, jiu-jitsu tournament sometime in the summer, and then my first MMA fight was like later that fall. Um, but yeah. Yeah, sorry, Dylan. It, it kind of, uh, the connection for some reason went down. So the last thing I heard was, you talking about the grappling tournament and how there were some Taekwondo people competing with their black belt and then judo people. So, so could you oh, go back to that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was just kind of a chaotic, um, I don't know, sort of a hodgepodge of different martial arts styles, wrestlers and whatnot, Taekwondo kids all trying to strangle each other. And, and <laughs> in hindsight, it was a bit messy and uh, kind of chaotic and, there were, you know, I have some video footage of it on um, YouTube. It's kind of fun to watch because there's there's scenes where there's literally five referees, okay, inches away from the action, like all kind of peering in and not really knowing what they're looking. <laughs> yeah, the uh, interesting times in the Midwest, for sure. And I mean, really, 2002. That's you know, really not that long ago. And just to see how how it's evolved from then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Things changed. Um, the Midwest always seemed a couple years behind everything. But then once, you know, the advancement of technology and YouTube and, and the, the Ultimate Fighter, you know, the first time that aired in, what, 2006 or whatever, that, that was kind of when everything, everything blew up. And 
gave a lot more recognition to the sport and that especially helped us in the Midwest too, I think, because we were we we're always a little bit behind everybody else and, and that kind of brought it to the forefront for us right away and helped uh validate us as like real athletes and not just you know, barbarians. Yeah. Yeah. Not not just barbarians or like tough guys that they right. get in the brawls. But okay. Right. Right. And and then you mentioned your uh, your first mixed martial arts fight. Yep, that was uh, also in like I think late two thousand two, so kind of in the fall. Um, and uh, yeah, that was um, nerve wracking and exciting at the same time. Um, definitely, uh, definitely one of my favorite fights to kind of look back at when I was like young and had a ton of energy and. Just <laughs> like for a really long time, it seemed. Yeah. No, nothing hurt. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um. So about that fight, like, so what do you recall? Like, well, first off, where where was it at? <laughs> my first MMA. Well, my first MMA fight was in in Fargo, North Dakota. Um, okay. as well. and it was like held at the Civic Center downtown. I've okay. had. Kind of like a smoker amateur grappling match before that um, in sort of an MMA environment. It was at, I guess, sort of um, an illegal at the time. Okay. Kind of underground kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and they were fighting. They were doing MMA fights in a ring at a VFW yeah. in a small town in, in uh, northern Minnesota. And uh, this guy approaches me and he's like, you want to fight? You know, you guys look like you train. And I was, I was scared. Shit. Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm like, no way. And he's like, well, do you want to grapple one of my guys? Yeah. And at first, I thought I was, like, being led into, like, a really bad situation. And then yeah, turned out this guy I was talking to was Brock Larson, who, um, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's been in the UFC. and yes. he's, he's been out there. I know he's trying to you guys out at UFC. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah he's trying to AMC for sure. And then also, uh, yeah, one of his, I've had one of his students on, on my show. Actually, oh. well, yeah, one of his students actually is uh, now my current roommate. So, oh. yeah, I know small world from yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, Brock was so, like, nice. And yeah. I was like, oh, this guy's so nice. He's trying to, like, <laughs> He's trying to con you. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to con me into something. And I'm like, no way. I'm not doing a fight. And then my friends kind of talked me into, like, okay, just just grapple. Just grapple then. Yeah. And uh, I was like, all right, yeah, what's the harm in that? So I got out there and grappled. And we kind of. But I think we grappled to a draw or whatever, and then yeah. so it turns out it was Brock Larson, and we became pretty good friends and training partners. Nice. On, so yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another Brock Larson connection on the show. I'd like like to have him on in the future. But yeah, okay. Yeah. So this is like late two thousand two. You you feel like you get into this uh, grappling smoker. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I thought for sure I was gonna get my ass kicked. You know, <laughs> ah, well, you know, I'll just tap out, and you know, I was making excuses before it even began on how I was gonna, you know, lose gracefully. Yeah. And I went out there, and we did pretty well, and it was a competitive match. And um, you know, and like I said, it turns out Brock was actually pretty, pretty straight shooting guy, and was being really honest with me. And you know, I I didn't get my ass kicked so bad, and. And then we became friends and training partners at the academy later, and you know we're still buddies to this day. So, yeah, he's, he's a good guy. 
Nice. Yeah. So that was so that was your first kind of foray into that. And then so then how did the uh, MMA fight happen? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I've been wanting to do a fight. We had kind of gotten into all of this through a boxer friend of ours. Uh, his name was Rich Icheck, and he was a, a former pro boxer up in that area. And um, I forget how the connection was made, but. You know, I, I think I got a hundred dollars for for fighting for fifteen minutes. I won my decision, and um, the fight was, you know, it was great. It was it was pretty exciting, but um, yeah, the lead up to it, there were there were definitely some nerves and mm-hmm. some anxiety and stuff I had to overcome. Um, and and then I realized that that uh, I didn't want to um, I didn't want to like try and knock people out anymore because I went into the fight with this idea that. Uh, I don't know. I've been watching too many Vander Silva videos or something. <laughs> yeah. And it was that fight that kind of like pushed me towards, I was trying to like grapple my opponents. I don't know. It, it, it definitely gave me a different look at striking because I had hit this kid so much and mm-hmm. I was so tired of hitting him that I was like debating in my head sometime in the third round, like, Oh my God, like maybe I should just quit. He's not going to go down. And, mm-hmm. Um, my hands and feet and knees and, and everything hurt so bad from just punching and kneeing this this kid so much that it wouldn't go down. He was a little tank. In yeah. fact, in fact, he was also Filipino. <laughs> just and just the two Filipino guys beating the crap yeah. out of each other in it in was, North Dakota. Yeah, he was from Winnipeg. Um, yeah, I think he trained at Joe Dirksen's gym, and Joe Dirksen was a UFC vet at that time too. And um, yeah, he was just. He was built like a fire hydrant, like a little pit bull, and he was just mm-hmm. super. Like I, I hit him with everything I had. And I was trying to hurt him, and he just didn't want to like stop. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was that fight where I was like, man, you know, punching and kicking people is a lot of work. I think, <laughs> I think I'm going to try to take people down and and punch them and then submit them or whatever. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's an eye opener in a lot of ways. It taught me a lot about myself. So. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, you know, it's one thing, especially. Um, I mean, because you can, you know, you can train, you can spar, and like even like hard sparring, but that's still not quite what it's like when it's you know when when it's a competition. There's it's just like you and another person. Like that kind of intensity, especially like in yeah for striking department when you're trying to hit somebody like as hard as you can. That's like that's a feeling that's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty hard to it's pretty hard to describe to someone else because you know it's not like we've we've gotten kind of used to especially if someone's like not involved in like combat sports to like watching movies and seeing people you know go down after like after strikes but like yeah, yeah. yeah fighting a determined opponent that's a very it's a very different thing than you know an extra in a martial arts movie yeah yeah, yeah two entirely different things especially a determined opponent with a solid chin or you know just kind of a durable. You know, there's there's so so many guys. You know, they maybe they can't fight, but they're just they seem so durable, and it's a, it's that durability that <laughs> gets them into the later rounds and win, helps them win sometimes. You know, yes, it yeah yeah it's it's not easy knocking people out. That's for sure. No, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah knockouts just don't 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 kind of just happen. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's a lot more difficult in in reality than it is a movie. But okay, so back if I kind of change your you know perception 
on that and uh, how was the i guess well yeah you're talking also about the you know the cost of striking like you're talking about how your hands your shins your knees like we're feeling it i think that's another thing that people don't realize that oh yeah when you hit something it hits you back just as hard like yeah yeah yeah. absolutely right i that that i never really put much thought into you know with the (laughs) like eight to twelve ounce gloves that we're wearing when we're sparring and the shin pads you just don't get banged up the same way and yeah, I was kneeing this guy a lot, and he was kind of defending pretty well. And I, I need his elbows so many times, and I punched his elbows. And and the day after the fight, I could hardly walk, and I could not believe it. I was like, man, I'm going to be so disappointed if I see this guy out in the street. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Just that, yeah. And once again, like another realization that oh hey. <laughs> Oh, hey, like, even if you, even when you hit somebody, you're still extracting a toll, a toll from you. Like, as you said, like, your, your knees, and this is you doing offense to somebody, and and you're still getting, uh, you're still getting uh, a hurt, or at least slightly damaged, like, doing it. Yeah. yeah. People don't realize how much, you know, abuse the, your tools and weapons take, you know, even, even if you're the hammer, the nail still kind of chips you sometimes, and and that that stings, you know. I've I've broken my my hand before and uh, hitting somebody, and you know that just is I don't know. I I've never broken my hand, you know, trying to put someone in an armbar. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first fight, gotten gotten all, all these new realizations out out of the way, but. What was, I guess, yeah, so what was your feeling? Well, I guess after the adrenaline, you feel, yeah, I mean, I guess all the, uh, you start to feel feel it, but, like, how are you feeling, like, I guess about, like, about fighting again, like, after your first fight? Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't totally convinced. I wasn't <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly had a lot of adrenaline, and I felt pretty good. Um, but within like an hour or two, like I said, I was really sore, just despite <laughs> yeah. the, like the adrenaline kind of coursing through my veins. Um, I was really sore for a couple of days, and I my, couldn't open my hands. I, you know, every, like I said, everything hurt. Um, and I, like I, like I said, I wasn't totally convinced. And in my head, I kind of was like, I I should probably do this again and maybe try something different. And was a little disappointed with my performance, um, even though even though I won. Um, I was sure glad to get out of there. I know that. <laughs> yes. was, thank God this is over because that is a lot of work. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Um, but it, but it had been a while. I, I didn't really fight consistently after that either. Um, you know, it was like a fight. You know, maybe once every year or so for me. Um, it was never anything that I, I totally fell in love with. I. Loved watching it. I loved participating in it, but fighting, I never really sold me. You know, I had fun, mm-hmm. um, but it became work. You know, when initially I got into martial arts because it became, you know, it was uh, my my escape. It was kind of like my my meditation, if you will. You know, and um, and then when I took fights, then it became a job, and it got a little more stressful, and shit got real really quick, and yeah, um, it took that. Uh, I guess the the escape out of the martial arts for me, the uh, getting away from my problems when 
martial arts started becoming a problem, you know, a little bit because I was so worried about training enough, and eating the right things and performing properly and mm-hmm. not letting people down. And mm-hmm. you know, the common, common fear was a competitor. Oh, for sure. And yeah, no, and, and that's a common thing. It's, I mean, it's not even just like a martial arts thing. It's like when your art, your escape becomes an occupation, you know what, then you kind of, yeah, you kind of lose the escapism or the enjoyment of the recreation of it. Cause now you have to, you know, now you have to go to where, what you used to just cause you enjoyed it. Now you have, you have, you feel obligated like to do it. Right. And that's such a different thing, even though you're doing the same thing, just the mentality of it changes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it was a combination of all those things. And then also like, I, I, th- I think in my head, I always knew it wasn't going to be something that I wanted to be, you know, like I wasn't sure that I was going to be a full-time fighter ever. I, I think in my mind it was just like a test, you know, like I'm investing all this time into Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu and wrestling and mm-hmm. I, I better make sure it works and, yeah. you, know, you know, maybe proving to myself in some ways that I'm doing the right things too, so. Yeah, so it's more of like a self-assessment of yourself, like, okay, I have, I have the skills, but like, do I, yeah, do I, do I really know them kind of thing, so like a, like a testing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been in, like, street fights and hockey fights and stuff. <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same at yeah. all. My yeah. head do that because as a, as a teenager, I kind of fancied myself a tough kid. And in hindsight, mm-hmm. I, was, I was far from it. You know, I was a total idiot. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's the thing. I, th- I think, yeah, it's it's getting yeah getting that, that dose of reality, like, understand, like, oh, yeah, this is what, like, this is how it actually happens. But I think that's, yeah, that, that actual test of, actual test of skill, test of, test of will, like, really, of, like, putting yourself out there is, um, yeah, that's, yeah, because, like, you know, fi- fighting's a lot of things, and, yeah, not every, like, just because, I think, well, you kind of said yourself, you said a good example, it's like, just because, you know, you fought doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, your end goal was to be a professional fighter, but you just wanted, you had, you were a martial artist and you just wanted to test your own skills and see, and see how, how they would fare. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I knew I wanted to be a black belt, you know, yeah. I, wanted to be, I wanted to be knowledgeable and I wanted to be good. But again, I, I wasn't totally sold on the idea of being a fighter because even back then, I mean, the pay was so low. Oh, yeah. I had heard my teammates, you know, they, they weren't always happy with back in those days and you know that coupled with their you know their and everything else that they're doing to stay fit and healthy in their training it cost didn't seem to really it didn't seem to justify itself really you know and, yeah the cost benefit analysis was real yeah yeah real low yeah yeah it was and i had a kid at the time and and fighting you know it's it is i love it but it's it can be a little selfish sometimes to the people around you because you know, you're always sore and beat up because you're tired. You might be complaining too much. I, I've yeah. been certainly guilty of that. And you got to be on a special diet. And, you you know, you got to go train so you don't get to see your family as much. And, you yeah. you know, you come home later and you wake up earlier and you, you work you work all day. And, yeah. you know, yeah. you're, you're tired and got to sleep a lot because you're training and working. And so it's tough on the people around you, too. So you definitely have to have some sort of, I don't know, certainly helps if you have 
you're a single guy or have some financial freedom too, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. If you have some financial freedom, if you have, you know, less family responsibilities, yeah. Cause it's a real isolating thing. It takes, it, it's uh it takes a, a large amount of your time for sure. Um, yeah, I, I was doing my research. I was actually here. Demetrius Johnson podcast. And was, oh, yeah. you know, the, the struggle was real for like every fighter. And he was talking about yes. his job all the time and, yeah seeing if you could get out of work to take fights and yes and, you know that's that's crazy um, exactly and that's no and that's that's not even a regular fighter that's you know that's uh one of the, that, that's a guy who yeah accomplished one of the highest levels in the sport and still at a, at a high level so yeah yeah, yeah and the, <laughs> the struggle is very real yeah which is, is he the last person by the way to do a, a podcast with you he was yeah he's the he was the last fighter I've had on the show so that was a week ago yeah, yeah so I feel like Beyonce Beyonce and Jay Z just opened for him somehow I was thinking damn I gotta follow up with Demetrius <laughs> what the hell am I gonna say you know yeah. that uh, anyway it, it was a good podcast by the way it's great thank you thank yeah. you but um no it's it's just a well, I think, because, you know, just in the public eye, it's, because, you know, it's one thing to see, you know, see a fight, but they own, they're only really seeing, like, the tip of the iceberg of it, you know? Like, that's just, uh, the, there's a lot of work that goes into getting somebody, like, ready for, a, you know, re- ready for a fight, like like you're saying, like, there's the diet, there's the there's the training, there's the being away from your family. And it's it's a lot of it's a lot of sacrifice and time from there. And that's and you know, that really I mean, that really doesn't get told or if you if you're not really close to the experience or close to the people that do it, like that kinda, you know, washes away from the you know, from from the crowd that, that sees it. And yeah, just realizing the cost, like not just the physical cost, but as you're saying, like the emotional, the time cost, the yeah, just the commitment it takes is is very. Um, it can get it. Can, it's very daunting, especially if you if you're not aware of it. Yeah. Yeah, it, especially that that like you know people. I think they're more aware of the physical costs, um, but like the uh, like you said, it's it's the financial and the emotional and the mental costs. Yeah. Or mental investment that you put into it, yes. people, you know, again, the struggle is real, even on the mats, you know, it's, it's tough to embrace that grind like that. And, you know, you know, you got training partners trying to beat the hell out of you every day. <laughs> yeah. The point of it, you know, so it takes a real special person to show up day in and day out and embrace that. And yeah, I, I have so much respect for, for these high level athletes, uh, you know, MMA fighters or high level grappling competitors to just get out there and do this stuff because um uh, you know it's it's almost hard to explain unless you've been training alongside someone like that and seeing it and witnessing it or participating in it firsthand um and like i said i'm sure you know with demetrius around what that looks like so oh yeah oh, yeah for sure and i think i mean even at uh you know even at like a, a beginner standpoint you know i mean you as a you know, as a, as a coach and as a gym owner, like know that it's <laughs> when when a beginner starts and they start to realize, oh, hey, the reality, you know, the reality of a, of a training situation of, 
you know, if it's grappling, you're like, oh, someone's like, it's a training, but someone's actually trying to, <laughs> trying to put me in a submission. Don't put me in a, you know, either like a chokehold or a submission that <laughs> threatens my limb. Just the reality of combat is, you know, can be a daunting thing. <laughs> yeah. Especially you're from get... regular life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you're going to get bumps and bruises, whether intentional or not. I mean, if you're training right, you're going to be sore all the time. You know, it's it's almost like a given. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that, like being sore it be- becomes your regular. And it's, yeah, it's, it's always been, it's always been interesting to me, like seeing how, like you said, it takes like a certain a certain kind of person, but like like seeing how people like either like how people adapt to to that kind of to that kind of lifestyle, you know? Because yeah, it takes a lot of. I mean, even if you know, even if you're not a fighter, like even if you you know, I guess like a hobbyist or just a casual, uh, you know, like going martial arts like casually, but it's still it's still a lot of a uh, right. It's it's a, it's a lot it's a lot more uh, physically committing than you know if you were doing like a spin class or <laughs> yeah yeah like a dance class like oh it's a little it's a little bit more not not that there's anything wrong with that but yeah it's it's a little bit more harsh on your body yeah oh yeah with another human trying to like strangle you and you know put you down the whole time i mean even if you're not going hard it's still you know the other person's trying to get the best of you most of the time and it's, it's never an easy it's never an easy day if you're like preparing for a fight that's for sure yes okay so how about let's let's go on to how about some some fighters that that either you what are some notable fighters that you remember training with or that you that have trained underneath you yeah um well most impressively was like Sean Shirk and Nick Thompson, uh, Nick the Goat Thompson, if you know who he is. He was yeah. uh, okay. Um, those guys really kind of embraced me and took me under their wing right away, and I became you know one of their main training partners for a lot of their fights. Um, I actually got to corner Nick Thompson at UFC 59, oh, nice. uh, and that was the same card that Sean Shirk fought. Uh, Nick Diaz so was also kind of like ringside for that as well and part of Shirk's camp for that. So that was kind of my first foray into like, you know, that level of fighting. Um, and and so it was those two primarily that I, you know, really, uh, I don't know, um, you know, tried to emulate, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from Nick Thompson's antics, you know, his fighting stuff. <laughs> Yeah. I always trying to, you know, do my best to to be the best training partner that I could for them too, and and um, so it worked out. And they took me to UFC 59, and that that was probably one of my my you know, at that time one of the coolest things I had I had ever done in the martial arts world. That's for sure. Um, and then uh, and then fighters that I've, I've had here in Fargo that we've produced, um, Pablo Garza. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, he he was our first UFC fighter, um, and and that was a lot of fun. You know, he he kind of burst onto the scene with a storm. You know, he had a flying knockout. Flying, a flying yeah, flying knockout. knockout. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, and then he followed it up at uh, UFC 129 with a flying triangle, and and that was huge because at the time that was uh, that was really impressive too. The 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 knockout was really cool. That was super exciting. But then UFC 129, it was um, at the time I believe like the biggest pay-per-view 
buys in the biggest gate or whatever. There were like 56,000 people in this arena. Yeah. And it was just absolutely nuts. Um, yeah, 129. Yeah, wasn't that when was that when GSP fought Jake Shields? Jake Shields, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jose Aldo was on that card. Oh yeah, he fought Mark Hominick. Yeah, that was that that was in Toronto, wasn't it? Yep. yep. Um so th- those are pretty exciting times and then um currently we have Tim Johnson and he's a heavyweight right now in Bellator. He was in the UFC for a while. Um yeah, so these it's kind of my my guys, I guess. Um, but I learned from some of the best, and now I just I guess I do my best to try to pass it on to uh, to my guys here in Fargo, and um, you know it worked out pretty well for for quite a few of my fighters. Have been pretty close to the UFC, and it's worked out for for Pablo and for Tim, and I guess who who'd have thought little old Fargo, North Dakota could do it? So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so how about, yeah, so how about let's, let's take it back to, I guess, how about the the beginning of, let's say, either Pablo or, or Tim's, like, career, so did, do you remember, uh, so did they start training underneath you, like, from, from day one, or do you recall when they first entered your gym? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Pablo, I guess, start with him, since he was first back, but, um, he was training up in Grand Forks with um, Ken Greer, who I mentioned previously, where it was kind of, we were sort of training a, a mix of what we could mm-hmm. get. And he had kind of started up there. Um, and then he started making the drive down to Fargo almost daily. And, and let's just say he didn't have a lot of money, and so he was, like, borrowing money from, like, everybody in the gym so he could drive back to Grand Forks every night. <laughs> He'd come down only, you know, yeah. so gas to get him one direction and then yeah. drive back and so in the early days you know he was very committed and man he he was he was determined to do mm-hmm. something um because he was driving an hour almost every day just to come and practice with us oh, wow. for quite a long time and then eventually he moved to fargo mm-hmm. and it was shortly after that he got on the ultimate fighter um season 12 with uh, gsp and uh, Josh Koscheck. Josh Koscheck. Yeah. We had another fighter on that card, Dane, or on that that show, Dane Sayers, uh, Dane Redhorse Sayers. I don't, I don't know if you saw that season or whatever. Oh no, I think I do remember that season. Yeah, he had the red mohawk and yep. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do remember that. Yeah. It was the same season that Michael Johnson was on. Um, oh yeah, yeah, because like I think Michael Johnson was that wasn't like Alex Caceres also on that show. Yeah, there were quite an. Yeah, there were two pretty good fighters. I, I yeah. can't. Um, but uh, Pablo got beat by by Michael Johnson in that sort of like elimination round to get into yeah. that. So, you know, he made it to the show, and then you had yeah. to stay. Oh yeah, because you had to fight to get on to get into the house, right? If yeah. I remember correctly, yeah. And he lost the decision. Um, to Michael Johnson of all people, who's still in the UFC, doing yes. well. And uh, anyway. Pablo got sent home shortly after that. Um, it was after that, though. I mean, he, he stayed completely determined. It was something like he rattled off, like, five fights in the time of, like, like five months or something like that. And he was beating um, – he just wasn't beating up fans either. He was beating up some of the better guys in the Midwest at that mm-hmm. time. And, and then, you know, the WBC called him, and he, he uh, had his debut in the big leagues at – was it uh, – one of the last WECs, I want to say WEC 51, 
Okay. About this, I believe it was a Chinese kid. And uh, he ended up losing via Dars or something. And I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, fortunately, the UFC, they, they called him shortly after that, and they still wanted him. I think they wanted him eat up by Fred Simpashow, actually. Ah. You know, and then, and then Pop, I think, kind of spoiled that a little bit. Yeah. Because Fred was a very accomplished grappler and fighter. <laughs> so, so going into the, the ultimate fighter finale, um, Pablo was, uh, we were intimidated, but it, we were specifically drilling that, that flying knee mm-hmm. for, for Pashao. Um, Ended yeah. up working out. <laughs> yeah, it worked out great. It worked yeah. out great. Pablo's always had good footwork, so um, we used that and set it up, and things just kind of took off from there with Pablo. Um, and Tim Johnson, he was kind of the same. He came in from uh, MSUM is like a D2 school here, and they have a wrestling program, and he came from there. Okay. Um, and initially he just kind of dabbled in it and then he took some time off and he was in the, the National Guard and he got sent overseas and mm-hmm. we weren't really sure if, you know, at that time what Tim was going to do. But then he came back and just kind of had a knack for beating people up and, <laughs> you know, rattling off some pretty good wins. And then yeah. the competition started getting tougher and he started finishing those guys too. And, and then um, UFC noticed him from there and and then it kind of took off at that point. Um, and then Tim had his first fight, uh, where the heck was it? In, I think in Virginia, and he, he won via first round. Uh, so, you know, that, that again was kind of like a really good start for one of our fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, well, I think, yeah, one, one one of the key notions that you mentioned is just like, yeah, the commitment that it takes to, you know, well, to not be just a professional fighter, but, you know, to be a, a fighter in general. Like, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of constant, like, ups and downs that you have to deal with. And not just with, you know, the fighting itself, but, yeah, just, like, even putting yourself in a position to train. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like, um, you know, after Pablo lost out on the ultimate fighter, it would have been pretty easy for him to you know, hang his head and not do anything, but he was still pretty determined to do something about it. And like I said, he rattled off like five fights in, in less than like six months or something like that. Um, I don't remember all the details exactly, but yeah, I mean, he he had some grit. You know, he, he came from um, like a, I think a pretty poor Mexican working class family. You know, they, they moved to the Midwest to work on the farms and, um, you know, so he didn't have a lot of money, but what he... He didn't have financially made for up with like grit and hard work determination. I guess it's kind of that um, what they call it uh, immigrant mentality. Immigrant mentality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was only that, you know. It was definitely, um, and and that's that's just pretty impressive. Tim, he had just like farm boy mentality, you know. And he's, <laughs> he's at heart, so he's just like raised working hard and. You know, just a tough kid all around, and you know they they had what it takes, still do. Tim's actually got a fight um, coming up here in a couple of weeks out in at Bellator two twenty five. Uh, okay. Okay. In Connecticut, I think the headline is uh, Mitrione and Karatinov, I believe. Oh yeah, they're they're doing that rematch after 
Yeah, what I can't remember what happened there. Oh, I think I think Mitrione hit Karatonov in in the in the groin, if I remember correctly, like got pretty top. early on. Yeah, sounds about right. I, I think that sounds right. He threw a kick or a knee or something, and that'll be a good fight because those guys both like to throw some good leather. And yeah, not a frick punch each other in the face. <laughs> yeah, just, just some just just some big people going at it. But, yeah. <laughs> not back in the day. He was a lot. I mean, he still is. But I remember when he was younger and and pride. He was a lot of fun to watch. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So what? Um, well, I think you already mentioned like some fights that you've been involved in. But what about like what? What are some of the most like memorable memorable fights that you've seen live or uh, that you're in person like viewing? Yeah. Um. Well, the Jake Shields. Uh, St. Pierre fight in Toronto was huge, you know, I mean, with <laughs> the excitement that we had that night after he won, you know, the, the flying triangle and yeah, he, he got awarded the $129,000 bonus that night. It was like one of the biggest bonuses in UFC history. And yeah, and so we were pretty high on excitement <laughs> and, and, and watching, you know, St. Pierre is actually one of my favorite fighters too. So mm-hmm. being able to kind of be there and witness that. You know, with like fifty-five thousand people in a building screaming. And, and yeah, what what was that sound like then? Like just being an arena full of people. Like, yeah. well, even during like some of the earlier fights when we were in the locker room, because he was like one of the earlier earliest fights of the night. Mm-hmm. And, um, once the crowd started showing up, when we were in the locker room, I mean, it just sounded like a. a I don't know how to explain it. It was like a herd of. A million elephants or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, like a, like a, like a rumbling. Like yes. that. Yeah. yeah. So just a rumbling. Like the building was shaking. Oh wow! Yeah. And then when Saint Pierre came out, you know, people went absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um. So the love they had for that guy was just intense. Um. And then and then I saw him fight again, and Pablo was on another card. He fought Mark Hominick in in uh, Montreal. Okay. Okay. And, and Saint Pierre fought Koscheck that night. And again, it was just, um, it was just nuts. Or no, I'm sorry. I think he fought Condit that night. So okay. Was, yeah, I think he fought. Oh Condit. yeah, that 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 was his that was his comeback fight from the ACL surgery. Yes. Yeah. And so you know there was. This yeah. Concern. Didn't yeah didn't Condit hit him with a, like a head kick? I think in the fourth round. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a good fight. Condit is just he's he's pretty amazing too. Um, but those those are pretty memorable fights. Um, we were at the uh, Alan Belcher, uh, Husamar Polaris fight. I don't know Ooh, if you remember yeah. that. But yes. I'm, everybody was scared shitless of Husamar. Oh, I mean, people yeah. should still be scared of, like, Paharis. But, yeah, no, Paharis was, was running through people and tearing yeah. their legs off. Yeah. It was. And uh, Alan Belcher was in our locker room, and they were drilling those same exact sequences, those legs. Yeah. You know, and, and now in like hindsight again, you know, seeing like that level of leg knowledge then and now how popular it is, it's kind of fun to look back at. But uh, Husamar was like the nicest guy ever. Pablo fought on that <laughs> card. He ended up losing, but Husamar was, was really nice. We were around him a lot that week. And, yeah. yeah. Interesting, interesting guy. <laughs> yes. Big after the bell, but uh, he's, he's really nice in person. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan Belcher who's Smart Paharis. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, no, that was that was real impressive, especially you know as far as grappling. Yeah, because I mean, I remember thinking like, oh yeah, well, it looks like Paul Harris is just gonna rip like Belcher's leg off, but he actually 
actually like beat him grappling, which I wouldn't have expected. Yeah. yeah. I didn't either. And Belcher was in our locker room leading up to that. I was like, oh man, I'm kind of worried for you. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, he went out there and totally amazed me. It was, it was, it was a grappler. I was so impressed. I was like, wow, that was just beautiful. You had an answer for everything he threw at you. So that was, that was a memorable fight. Um, I guess another fun one was way back in the early days of MMA. Like I said, they were, there were a lot of legal fights through Minnesota. They were uh-huh. held like VFWs in small towns. And, you know, if you ever have Brock Larson, make sure you ask him about some of those early shows. And, <laughs> um, you know, they were usually in a ring. And I remember, you know, I, I've seen some crazy stuff. But oh, oh, for sure. one of the funniest ones was, uh, God, I wish I could remember. He was from Winnipeg, and he was fighting... I don't know, it was a guy named Hoist Lusek or something, and he was just, this Hoist or something was pounding the piss out of this guy, and yeah. uh, and he was he was Asian too, by the way. So, <laughs> that's what I remember about him. I, I yeah, his name. But anyway, his mom came out of the crowd, this like little old Asian lady, and she uh-huh. got her purse, and she straight up because they were by the ring, and it was yeah, thing, and she started beating the guy with her purse as she. <laughs> Classic Asian mom move. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. My my grandma's crazy Asian too. Yes, she, she would have done the same thing if she saw me getting beat up. <laughs> so yeah, that was that. I'll never forget that because that <laughs> I, I never experienced. Um, yeah. The the Midwest, I think sometimes it's just I don't know. It's kind of lawless. We're always a little bit behind, with, you know, the East Coast and the West Coast in terms of you know sanctioning MMA, for example, or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Being up to par with all the latest rules and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I guess, oh, speaking of which, yeah, so as far as, like, rules and regulations and such, like, is there amateur MMA in North Dakota? No, there's not. There's hardly... There's really? No. Yeah, okay. There hasn't been an MMA show for, for a while. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't know what's going on with the commission here, but it's been quite a while since there's been any shows, and, and we used to have shows all the time. Um, there were quite a few years where uh, North Dakota was having shows, probably, uh, gosh, pretty shows, like six to eight times a year. Um, we've had everyone from, like, Michelle Watterson and Nina Ansarov and um, Anthony Smith and... Cole Conrad and all these other fighters had like made their debut in Fargo back in the day, or, or not even made their debut, but had had some of their like before the UFC type fights here. So we were we were getting to see a lot of really high level athletes on their way to the UFC because uh, there were some North Dakota promotions that were they were spending money to bring in good fights, and that yeah. was we were pretty lucky at the time. So okay, so I mean that must be pretty tough then. So what? I guess, can you recall when the last uh, North Dakota, like, show was? Yeah, there was, I think it was, like, March of this year, but then it was a smaller show held in a ballroom, and I'm not sure it did so well. Okay. Um, There were, like, six fights on the park or something. Um, And then prior to that, there hadn't been anything for, like, a year or two. Um, So we're kind of suffering, but right across the river is Minnesota, and... Uh That's kind of where, like, my fighters stay busy for the most part is we either go to Minnesota or South Dakota for our fights. And both of those states have amateur. Okay. 
Um, so we get that, um, which is pretty close to us. Okay. Well, at, at least you have that as opposed to, yeah, that's so strange that, you know, you have bordering states that have both like pro and amateur MMA shows, but your current state or the state that you live in doesn't. So oh, it kind of sucks. The, uh, the reservations, the Native American reservations in North Carolina, they have their own tribal commission. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they can use the state, but most of them have their own commission and they allow amateur MMA there. And, um, those shows are always always kind of fun. The casinos put them on, and they typically have a little more money to spend. So the production value and some of the fighters they bring in can be can be a lot better. Mm-hmm. But okay, so yeah, so going your fighters mainly go to South Dakota, Minnesota, yeah, for for fights. I guess yeah. So I guess what's the what are some big things that have have changed, like training wise? I guess like from when you first started to like how you're training now. Yeah. Um, you know, not a lot. Um, you, you mean me specifically, or like how I train guys, or what we're doing differently, or? Yeah, I, I, like yeah, what I'm looking for is just like yeah, like are, is there anything that's really changed as far as like you know like when you started like around what like late late 90s like early 2000s like practices wise and then like did you really alter like how you train versus like how you train people now or? um you know yes and no yes and okay. no. we probably don't we probably don't spar hard as much as we used to mm-hmm. um and we that's kind of tough to say a, a lot of it it seems like it's i don't know it's, it's like cyclical okay for yeah. example, like it comes leg, in waves. Yeah, it comes in waves. You know, like leg locks are back, and they're kind of a thing. And yeah. you know, I was lucky because back in the day, you know, I've, I've trained with Eric Paulson a lot, and and Greg Nelson himself, and they knew a lot about leg locks, and we were doing them back then. So then, when they make like this, you know, they they come back into yeah into fashion, if you will. Yeah, no, it it is kind of like a fashion trend. That's like, oh, leg locks are out, egg leg locks are back again. Yeah. From yeah. That. That's right. Yeah, they're, they're bad. Oh, now they're good. And yeah, <laughs> that that whole thing kind of happened. Um, yeah. You know, other than that, you know, not not too much really. I mean, obviously we we're learning like new techniques all the time, and we get cool information from everywhere. And you know, we try to implement as much as we possible as possibly can. But it, it's like really hard to keep up with people, to be honest with you. You know, <laughs> with the level of yeah. Uh, jiu-jitsu practitioners out there guys are getting so good so fast and mm-hmm. like you know nikki ryan or whatever has only been training for like three years and yeah and just killing people you know it it's uh it's kind of stressful but it's also motivating as a coach too you're like damn you know the, there's there's just so much out there and it is hard to keep up with everybody but we're just we're just kind of doing our best and doing the best we can here in here in fargo so uh, not not too much has changed. Just trying to keep up with all these all these superstars that are coming out of nowhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say yeah, probably. Well, at least you know the like you said, like well, like when you started, there was no you know there there was no internet, there was no well, I guess I mean there might be internet, but yeah, there was no like such free flowing of of like knowledge like from there and probably. I mean, that's probably changed, like, since then. Like, there's so much, 
I mean, you can yeah, you, you can just go you can just go on like YouTube or go on Instagram now, see like a whole bunch of like technique. But I guess like the practices still remain the same. Like you gotta still you gotta still train regularly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still gotta put in the work, you know. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like with the the amount of information that's out there, you know, we can go online and I can see what like oh, you know, there's a technique that Matt Hume is doing or or for us, a hobby or whatever. It's almost like people are handing out all the information now too. You know, John John Danner, for example, is just yeah. he's he's giving us everything. So yeah, um, the system. Yeah, spoiled. You know, if, yeah. if YouTube crashes, what are we gonna do? I don't know. But um, <laughs> back in the day, we had none of that. We had like VHS tapes if we were lucky, and Black Belt magazine or whatnot. If it happened to feature a uh, article on grappling, we got we got super lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so if let's say like what uh what ad, what advice would you give to somebody that was like looking to train like martial arts like let's say you know at at your school you get someone like on day 1 they ask like, okay, what do I what do I need to do like to be successful at this? Like what would you tell them? Yeah. You know it you don't want to scare them, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you put me on the spot. I, I guess, you know, we, we, when people come in and they tell me they want to be successful, you know, I just try to make them feel as comfortable as possible. Because yeah. I remember walking into, a, you know, a, you know the, the gym in Grand Forks for the first time was super intimidating. And then when I went to the academy in Minneapolis with Greg Nelson, like I was shaking in my boots outside. You know, oh my God, this is going to be really scary. So when people come in and they talk to me, like I'm trying to mostly just make them feel comfortable. And if they have goals like that, you know, basically, you know, I'll tell them I support them. But obviously, without scaring them, you know, I have to, you know, delicately tell them that it's (laughs) it takes a lot of work and determination and grit and mental fortitude. And you know, it's it's definitely not an easy life. And if you're going to be, you know talking about MMA specifically, you're not going to get paid a lot for a while, if anything at all, you know, and there's a, some pretty serious risks involved too. So like I said, I, I probably wouldn't mention the risk part because I don't want them to stop running out the door, but, um, you know, in all honesty, that's, that's what it takes, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, I think the, yeah, the 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 comfort thing is <laughs> is an important thing. Yeah, because I mean the reality the reality will hit them like sooner <laughs> sooner than later. So <laughs> yeah, about the gravity of the situation they put themselves in. Yeah, especially if they don't have any martial arts. You know what I mean? They have no nothing yeah. to reference it by or compare it to. You know, even if they did high level, you know, hockey or football or something, it's like you. It's just not the same. You know. Like yes. Not, so, uh, yeah, it, it is, it's, you know, we, we just try to support people that want to do it, um, you know, and then and the other thing is like having a team around you too that can support you and, you know, ha- help you reach those goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we would do what we could to, to help people reach their goals because it is, it is fun having people in the UFC and having that on your, you know, on your resume that you've, you've brought people from the ground up to that level, mm-hmm. you know. Reporting. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think. Well, I think. I think team is a, is an important thing that you mentioned because, yeah, even though yeah you get, you know, individual fighters like into big organizations, but at the you know it takes it takes like a yeah it, it takes a whole team really to like to train like you need several training partners you need yeah you need more people than just one person like to I know for for training purposes like from there. So I think uh, I think yeah I think building a good team is like a real important part of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You got to have people around you that you can trust to train with. You know, and I've seen firsthand like there there are people that you you can't trust. You know, and and uh, you have to be careful sometimes about you know who you keep around as your training partners, especially if you're trying to reach a goal like that. Mm-hmm. But but that definitely makes a, a big difference. <laughs> have have support around you and guys that are you know they're having fun too that that's also a big part of it like yeah you know it's a serious it's such a serious sport that i think it's pretty important um to have a lot of fun while we're doing it too because yeah. you know it, it's already it's already a, it's already it's tough enough as it is <laughs> yeah so you know we goof around a lot too like we are yeah. trying to have fun because if yeah. not you know then what the hell are you doing it for yeah and uh yeah i think yeah, like remember, yeah, I just remember, you know, why, why, why you're doing it is doesn't have to be like such serious goals, like just like yeah, just doing it for recreation or just doing because you enjoy it, like it's your meditation, it's your art. I think that's a, I think yeah, that's an important reason to stay involved in it. And I, well, I'm sure you can attest to this. You've been involved in it, you know, for you know quite quite a few years and still still in it. So yeah, like well, yeah, what keeps you, I guess, still. Uh, still training and um, yeah, still improving yourself. Yeah. Um, I guess I take a lot of I don't know I I take a lot of pride in like w- when people thank me or or tell me that somehow the gym or um, you know what we're doing has improved the, you know the, their life and in, in any type of way. That that's of like huge satisfaction. That definitely helps me keep going. Um, you know, it, it makes me feel feel pretty good about what what decision I made to like move my family to Fargo and, and open it. You know, yeah. But I know that that people are actually getting a, a lot of benefit from training with us, from training jujitsu and MMA and whatnot. Um, you know, we changed Pablo's life and we changed Tim's life, and you know that. That, that feels pretty awesome, and that definitely motivates me. You know, like how many more people can we, you know, how many more success stories can we have come out of the gym? That mm-hmm. definitely focuses me in a business aspect, but also as like a um, coach or a martial artist. Like I wanna, I wanna do the best job that I can. You know, it's it's not always easy, but I definitely, I'm you know, I, I want to do the best job that I can for for the people that are coming in there and putting in their time. You know, to to do the best job that they can as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Nice. I think, uh, yeah, well, I think that pretty much wraps up uh, what, what we got here. Any uh, any last words that you got before we part, Dylan? Yeah. No, no, no. Thank you uh, very much for having me on. Cholo, it was really good talking to you again, hearing your voice again. Hopefully one day I can make it back out your way and train with you guys again. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, I guess we didn't mention that, but yeah, I remember we met. I mean, I can't remember like what year, but yeah, we met at AMC. Like yes, yeah, several years ago. Yeah, I was like 2012, 
2012. It's been a while. Yeah, I think I think it's I think 2012 is about, or maybe 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 even earlier. But yeah, question like what <laughs> about your Instagram handle? Like what, yeah. why is it uh what was it two? I was just looking at it. What's the origin of Hot Fire Spicer? <laughs> um, well, you know, one I could just put my name out there, but some some part of like the anonymity of like being you know, not found so easily with just my name. Um, but Hot Fire was my, uh, well, Spice was my last name, but Hot Fire was given to me by Nick Thompson mm-hmm. um, a long time ago, like 2000. Yeah. When did the Chappelle show come out? That's where it comes from. Oh, um, yeah. I think right. I think Chappelle show was like, I want to say 2003. Yeah, so yeah. Hot Fire, they, had, they did like a spoof on the uh, MTV show with Chappelle. Oh, yeah, because there was a rapper named Dylon. Dylon. Yeah, he Hot Fire. So, <laughs> Nick you know, you, you can't give yourself your own nickname, right? That's yeah. So, yeah, that's I'm a- from a Bodog world champion and, you know. Nick gave it to me, and he would say, I'm Dylon, I, I spit hot fire, I'm top five grapplers, you know, he wouldn't say rapper, he'd say grappler of all time, and so it just kind of stuck, and everybody started calling me hot fire at, at the Academy of Minneapolis, and so that's where, that's where we're at today. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the story. Okay, well, okay, cool, so yeah, that's been a hot fire spicer, and I guess. Oh, might as well say. Um, uh, what's your uh, What's your gym's like website or how people can contact you? Oh yeah, fmaca.com um, or ACA Fargo is like our Instagram or the Academy of Combat Arts. Um, yeah, give us a call or check out our website or Instagram or Facebook page. Um, yeah, we're we're uh, we're doing it here in Fargo, North Dakota. So come check us out. Nice. And then you said, uh, yeah, Tim Johnson was fighting Bellator 225. You said. Yeah. yeah, August what is it the twenty fifth coming up here against uh, Valentin Modanovsky. He's uh, another Russian. <laughs> Tim Tim's got a good record against Eastern Europeans and Russians, so you know we're, we'll we'll take it. Yeah, uh, yeah. There there are just a lot of Eastern Europeans and Russians. It seems just fighting MMA. Well, yeah. Yeah, man. Those, those struggling countries they just like produce the toughest people, you know. Yeah, it just kind of goes hand in hand with that. But okay, cool. Yeah, so that's been, yeah, it's been Dylan Spicer. And yeah, all right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you, Dylan. Yeah, yeah thank you very much, Pacholo. All right.